Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, armchair detective and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get months worth of bingeable content over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and by telling a friend about us. Today, we are going to Bisbee, Arizona. Bisbee is only 11 miles away from the United States border with Mexico. On the southeastern side of Arizona, there are fewer than 5,000 residents in the town of Bisbee, so it's quite small. It's actually an old mining town that's near Tombstone, Arizona, that we all know from the movie Tombstone. Absolutely, yeah. I have never seen that movie. I have not either, actually. Yeah, I think we're, like, young for Tombstone, but I have seen the poster, and also I have seen the episode of the Ghost Adventure show where they went to that area. So, there's that. Nice. Because it's an old mine town, it attracts a bit of tourism. It has a historic downtown area that's really cute, and there's a lot of local culture. I have two very interesting crime-related historical snapshots for you. You're going to find this interesting, I promise. First, I want to tell you about the Bisbee Deportation, which occurred in 1917 and is somehow less terrible than it sounds, but still pretty bad. It sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. So, this is what happened. In July 1917, the Phelps Dodge Corporation, which was a mining company hired a private police force and deputized civilians into sheriff's deputies to form a posse of about 2,000 quote-unquote law enforcement officials. And I say quote-unquote because I will remind you that they were just deputizing random people. Yeah, this is, not a, this is not law enforcement. This is a mob. It's a mob. Also, I didn't know that mining companies could deputize people, but apparently they have all the powers. Look. Corporations are people too, Daniel. That's a good point. <laughs> oh, this was 1917. Aaron, this is before the corporations became people. <laughs> All right. So this posse rounded up 1,300 individuals, well, around 1,300 individuals, which included some miners who had gone on strike as well as their supporters. The Phelps Dodge Corporation had heard rumors that some or all of the striking miners were members of the Industrial Workers of the World, which is a union. 
Dun dun. How, dun dun dun. How awful. Also, fun fact, the federal government itself was worried about unions at this time and was helping all of these companies. Although it's probably because guess who works at the federal government? The rich people. Guess who benefits from these companies? The rich people. It's funny how that works. It's so interesting how it all connects together. Okay, so they decided that they had to stop this entire situation with the unions. And so this posse of 2,000 law enforcement officials rounded up the 1,300 individuals who were in the middle of a strike, mind you. They were like outside with their signs doing the strike and loaded them onto some cattle cars. And then they drove them through the Arizona desert into New Mexico for 16 hours. During this time, their captors gave them very little to eat or drink, and they also were not allowed to collect any of their belongings when they were herded onto these trucks and driven away. The posse then unloaded all of these basically kidnapped victims into the city of Hermanas, New Mexico, which is about 200 miles away from Bisbee, right? And just left them there. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, so like... They didn't have any way to get anywhere. Like, they had no money. They had no clothes. They had no food. Nothing. Yeah, they just got stranded, like, totally marooned, basically. Yeah, like, they literally just drove them outside the the city, and then were like, don't come back, and then, like, left them there. The U.S. Army had to rescue them. Wow. Yes, the actual U.S. Army. Meanwhile, the mining company was squashing the story so that it wouldn't go nationwide so that they wouldn't get support for these workers. Mm-hmm. Sounds and, about right. Yeah. Fortunately, New Mexico actually did house them, thankfully, in order to give them a place to stay. But at the same time, I mean, they still were, like, just deported and left in this strange city. Yeah. Yeah. Now, later on, the federal government did an investigation and they did decide that this was illegal and you can't deport people from the city. <laughs> but yeah, no, right? nobody was really punished. There were some trials and various things, but really it was kind of performative. And it's partly because the company was mining copper. That's what Bisbee mostly had was copper mines. And in 1917, the U.S. was involved in the World War I efforts. And so they needed copper. Like they were like highly dependent on the copper. And so... The mining company literally actually used that as an excuse of like, well, we had to deport them. We were afraid for the the whole country that if the union happened, then what would happen in the war? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so they really didn't even get in trouble for this. They just got away with it. That sucks. Yeah, so they did at least have, the workers did have somewhere to stay for a while those after they got rescued, so that's good. But I feel like it's never good when the government is like rescuing people and also the mining company kept being like, well, we didn't break any federal laws. How is, like, deporting people not against the law? I know. You'd think that would be a pretty basic one. They kidnap people. Like, if I just go into a neighborhood and round up people and drive them out, if I just drive them to Louisiana and just drop them off, that's probably illegal, right? Unless you're Greg Abbott and Rick. Oh, my God. You're Okay. You know what? That's still <laughs> fucking happening. People are going to complain that we're talking about Greg Abbott again. But look, I'm not wrong. Like, all I did was state he does of, send the migrants. All I did was state of fact, right? Like, whenever, although at least, though, to be fair, there it's not the exact same situation. But this, but yeah, okay. You know what? We're gonna move well, on. I mean, even then, like he bragged about it, and all the he did brag and all of his followers thought it was great. So technically, I'm just stating a fact that that certain 
elements of the population think is great and certain other people don't yeah so basically what i'm learning is that people are probably still support this all right well we're gonna go on to the next thing which is might be worse definitely worse there's there's deaths in this next one okay so secondly we have the bisbee riot in 1919 which depending on which side you're on you either call it the bisbee riot or it is also called the battle of brewery gulch Oh, wow. So here we go. The summer of 1919 is called Red Summer of 1919 because that year, groups of white supremacists in several cities across the country attacked black people, their churches, and their property. Aside from just generalized racism, that was, also, that was obviously part of the causes, but there were also some other causes for these attacks, and part of it was because the economy was suffering due to World War I. So after World War I, there was a lot of drama over jobs because, one, just there had been a war, so the economy wasn't doing great. Two, a lot of, of people had been soldiers, and they were both white soldiers and black soldiers. And so there were a lot of soldiers coming home and trying to, like, reenter the workforce, and that was causing a lot of issues because there weren't as many jobs. And also, white people were upset because black people were getting some of these jobs, and they were just mad in general. Also, at the time, a lot of companies, when white workers would go on strike to try to get better wages, they would just hire black people because they needed jobs. And they weren't exactly worried about the white people. So they were like, okay, like, yes, I will take a paycheck. And then the white people would get even more mad. Also, they were all mad because they thought that all black people were communists. Again, all white people probably didn't think that, but a lot enough white people thought that all the white people were communists that that became a problem. Wow, I've not heard that one before. Yes. That is crazy. To be fair, at the time during the time period, there were a lot of a lot more black communists just because they were underprivileged because of racism and societal issues. Mm. So it made more sense for them to support communist movements. Yeah, but that's true. most of the people being targeted were not a part of these efforts. And also, you're probably wondering, Danielle, it was 1919. I thought the Red Scare wasn't until the 40s. Well, this was after the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, which I used to be obsessed with because I was, like, the only kid in my school that fucking loved Animal Farm and read way more information about the Bolshevik Revolution than than is normal. But anyway, because of that, this led into the whole, like, oh, my God, communists, ah, People are going to immigrate here and be communists. Your normal, horrible things, xenophobic comments that you still hear today, but but like everyone's doing it. Okay, so this is our stage. So I'm going to just stick to the Bisbee incident for this here instead of talking about the whole Red Summer because literally there were like well over 30 incidences across the country. And I do recommend reading about them because if you want to be angry or upset, like it's perfect for that because I will tell you in some of these instances after the black people were attacked they were then somehow the ones arrested because they were secretly planning to harm white people after the black people were attacked so the white people attacked the black people but then they were like but they were going to get us first and then that somehow was the official narrative because the white people were in charge of the government racism is such bullshit yeah so this is kind of what people are talking about when they talk about systemic racism All right, so let's get to the Bisbee. So in July 1919, the Red Summer came to Bisbee when a group of Buffalo soldiers, which were black soldiers, by the way, faced off against local law enforcement. Now, as a summary, so we all know what Buffalo soldiers are super quick. So originally in the 1800s, there were some indigenous military folks 
who labeled the black soldiers as Buffalo soldiers that were in the 10th Cavalry. And then several other all-black military units took up the name Buffalo Soldier. And it just became used to refer to all-black units. So they would just call them Buffalo Soldiers. And this was a huge... Later on, this would become a huge honor. And people would, like, kind of trace their way back through their military family to, like, the Buffalo Soldiers. And there's museums. There's actually one in, I think, San Antonio. There's a Buffalo Soldier Museum, if I'm not mistaken, that I have been to. I'm pretty sure. So, like, you can go to museums about the Buffalo Soldiers. So, we had the, the actual 10th Cavalry was stationed close to Bisbee in this town called Fort Hiracha. At this time, there was a lot of contention because the war had ended on November 11th, 1918. And so, there wasn't as much demand for copper. So, in Bisbee, a lot of miners were suddenly out of work. And then there had already been all this drama over unions and, like, racial tensions. So this was adding to a lot of drama, especially because in Bisbee, not only did they have the whole union issue happen, but they actually had restrictions based on race for how, what kind of job you could have and where you could live. So white immigrants got the best jobs that paid the best. And this was, like, the actual law. Like, you, weren't, you were, like, forbidden to have the good job and the mine if you weren't white. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. People of Mexican descent, and this is if you were an immigrant or just born on U.S. soil, because keep in mind, there are a lot of people of Mexican descent that live in the southern U.S. that were born here and sometimes even generations because this used to belong to Mexico. So a lot of people who are technically of Mexican descent were already living here or had immigrated a long time ago. And so they might not even be first generation, but yet they're still, I mean, not that anyone should be having rules applied to them, but they still were not allowed to have the best jobs, but they could have what you might call the second best jobs. Uh, Black people were allowed to work menial labor and Chinese immigrants were allowed to have jobs, but they had to sleep outside the city. So they had to like drive out the city at night. That also is fucked up. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Okay, so this is the situation in Bisbee as we are going into summer 1919 and trouble is brewing. So the Brewery Gulch is a rocky ravine area that had businesses built alongside the rock. So like imagine like a rock face and people have built stores into it and it also housed the town's red light district which consisted of like gambling parlors and brothels and saloons and your various like places to go party and have a nightlife and i always think that's interesting because people are all like in the past nobody would do stuff like this and they have literal brothels and like saloons again we support sex work but also like don't pretend like it didn't exist so this is what ends up happening. So on July 3rd, the 10th Cavalry traveled to Bisbee from nearby Fort Hiracha with some other soldiers from other white regiments. The next day, on July 4th, Bisbee planned an Independence Day parade. And the soldiers who literally just fought in the freaking World War I 
plan to march in it. Okay? Which, I mean, at a bare minimum, they probably deserve this, right? They, like, a year ago, they were fighting in a fucking war. And a bad war, too, mind you. So when they got there, the white people in the military that were traveling with them got to go to a dance. But the black soldiers weren't allowed to go to that. So, instead, they went to the red light district to have their own good time. There was a squabble, though, because the white police officers from Bisbee tried to take all the guns from the black soldiers. So, like, the white soldiers were fine because they were carrying their sidearms, but the black soldiers weren't allowed to have guns because their skin was a different color, and that was important. So, the, they started taking these guns away, but one of the officers were, were like, hey, guys, like, we're allowed to have our guns. That's a, The law says that military, op- like, military forces can keep their guns, so, like, even though that you might not like it, they're allowed to, like, is that going to be okay with you? And so the sheriff allegedly agreed to this. And so most of these black officers kept their guns and then went about their day. But this ended up with some drama because later on, five of the Buffalo soldiers got into a kerfuffle with a white military policeman named George Sullivan. All of these people were drunk, by the way. Now, George Sullivan admitted to using quote-unquote harsh words with the Buffalo soldiers. And we can just... I think we all know what he said. Imagine what some of those words might have been. Yeah. And the soldiers pulled their weapons and bobbed him on the head. So I guess you might say pistol whip, but that wasn't the word used. They literally just like knocked him down. And then they took his gun and went to the police station to report this incident. So they're not like trying to run off and hide or anything, which I wouldn't blame them, but they're not. However, there were some white people that witnessed this and they claimed that Sullivan was the victim, you know, just because, not because of any reasons. Lols. So, after this happened, the white police officers formed a posse to go disarm all the black people. That's not the word they used, but I'm not saying it. And they were going to just take all their weapons away. The posse was led by a police officer, by the way, who had killed at least two people before he became a cop. Wow. Yeah, so the first one... Murder cop. Yeah, he had already gone to jail for the first one. And then the second guy was a Mexican guy that he claimed attacked his daughter. So, it sounds like he got nothing for that. And he just became a cop somehow. Like, I'm not sure how, like, you kill people and then you become a cop. Yeah. It seems like that ought to disqualify you from service in the police force. You would think so. You would think so. But in this case, they were like, oh, my God, this guy has the qualities. He is killing all these people. He's white, so we're going to let it go. We're going to let him be a cop. So he became a cop, and they pursued uh, this whole posse situation. The local officers confronted all of the Buffalo soldiers in the Gulch that night, and a fight ensued. The cops shot four of the Buffalo soldiers and beat two of them. One police officer received injuries, and an innocent bystander received a gunshot to the head. Ouch. Yeah. Now, I would like to point out to you guys that most of the injuries slash, like, damage was taken on the soldiers' part, and these are, like, trained professional soldiers, I genuinely think that they weren't actually participating as much in the scuffle as was being presented later on. Like, I mean, that sounds more likely. Maybe they were trying to de-escalate. Or, yes. You know, and, and I mean, because that's what they did in the first place. Like when yeah. they attacked, allegedly attacked that George Sullivan guy, they really de-escalated it. Like they disarmed him and were like, "Hey, this guy's trying to assault us," and then they were like, "Get him!" Yeah. So. The incident ended when 50 of the Buffalo soldiers quote-unquote surrendered and the rest of them were forced back to their fort. However, they actually got to come back the next day and participate in that parade 
as long as the white cavalry like like surrounded them and like watched them to make sure they didn't do anything wrong. Oh God. Yeah. So fortunately, no lasting things happened to the guys who participated. The buffalo soldiers, that is. Like it didn't like cause more problems. Like they were like go after the parade, but it's just kind of terrible that this happened. Also, later on, it became a very plausible theory that the whole incident was instigated on purpose by the white officers that had participated in this squabble because they kind of set out from the get-go to provoke the Buffalo soldiers and were hoping for a violent incident. But that was like a really unique situation that happened. And most of the whole issues between like the quote-unquote riots that occurred were more like civilian based and this is one where you had a local like an actual like u.s military like battalion fighting a police force that was a u.s police force yeah yeah which was kind of interesting that that happened very interesting all right well hopefully i mean both of those are are law related i I mean in case you're wondering like the first one we have an illegal kidnapping and deportation and the second one we have this like battle slash use of oppressive laws but i just think it's really important to look at these things because i will tell you whenever i'm writing these true crime cases a lot of times i will look into the cities and like go read various things about them because i really want to find just some like key facts or something and then i i end up down rabbit holes and things like that but a lot a lot a lot of united states cities have some kind of terrible horrible racist event in their history Even, like, the ones that are, like, the quote-unquote, like, good cities where people were significantly less racist. And I think it's important to, like, learn about that and also realize how recent it was. Because I think people like to think of it being so long ago that it's no longer affecting people. But, like, some of these people were, like, like, the oldest Buffalo soldier, like, just recently died. (laughs) I mean, he was old. He was, like, 111. But still, like some of like these people some of them who are affected by some of these incidences are either still alive or like it was like their dad and stuff like that so i mean it is important for us to kind of be aware and how that has like affected things you know trickling down towards everything you know like if you're living in bisbee and you're working in bisbee and the law is limiting what kind of job you can have and where you can live and things like that it makes it a lot harder for you to form a lifestyle and to like build your family and to build any sort of like wealth or anything and it it all kind of fits together anyway i thought it was kind of interesting that both of these two major events happened in bisbee although i will admit i would still visit bisbee because it looks really cute (laughs) anyway aaron do you have opinions before no no we have some patreon informations to record soon let's do it we're about to do that all right, well, thank you. If you want to join us on Patreon, we have a lot of stuff over there. We're about to record some more. It's patreon.com backslash badxpod. We also have a link in our show notes. You can find us on social media at badxpod on all the platforms. You can find us at our website. Badxpod.com. Yep, and also you can email us at badxpod at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. I don't always remember to answer them in a timely fashion if i'm being honest with you because i think that i've answered in my head but then i haven't but definitely email us and also um, our cats say hi they also would like for you to send them tuna but don't do that please don't listen to them all right well we will see you soon Bye-bye. bye bye